Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org.
But Father, we know and we trust that God, you are still on your throne, you're still in control. So God, what we need right now in our hearts and our lives, God, we just need that peace that surpasses our ability to understand, to envelop us and embrace us, God, so that we can have confidence and we can have strength, Father, in you. God, we pray during these times, Lord, where we can't be comforted by our friends and by our loved ones, that, Father, you will wrap your loving arms around us and we will feel your comfort and we will feel your strength. Father, we know there are people in our, in our community that are hurting. Father, people that they long for a touch, they long for a friend, Father, but because of this situation, they feel isolated. They feel alone. And Father, we pray that your word will become true to them, Father, and they will know you as their healer. They will know you, Father, as their provider. Father, they will know you as their friend, as their comfort. Father, as their strength, as their stronghold, as their fortress, as their mighty tower. Father, and I pray, I pray that you embrace them, Father. We pray for our church family, Father, that though we are separated, Father, physically, that, Father, we are here today in various spots around our community, Father. We are worshiping you and giving you praise. Father, we pray that you will bless our time together. Use it for your glory. Use it, Father, for your power. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is normally the time we'll be taking up an offering. If you'll go to our website page, you'll find a place there that says giving. You can give online with your, your credit card, your debit card. You can credit it right to your account. Because the fact of the matter is, the ministry of the church still continues. And so we ask that you be faithful stewards. And as God leads you, that you would bless the church with it all. Guys, thank you, Mia. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Praise Team. I want to give kudos to Garrett Ellison. He has worked tirelessly yep. to get this working today. And as always falls in, we always run into technical difficulties right when we least expect it. So, Garrett, thank you for that, brother. We appreciate it. And uh, the handful that are here, thank you for inviting us into your living room that we could be here with you. So, as, as we think about the situation going on in the world around us, we say everywhere we look, there, there's, there's trouble, there's chaos, there's confusion. As I was just reading some of the headlines taking place in the world around us, I saw that people are involved in panic and violence as they go to the grocery store. I saw where three women came to blows over a roll of toilet paper in the local, uh, the local store. I see where shoppers are, are rushing down the aisle to get to the, uh, the items, the merchandise that's freshly placed on the, uh, the stands there in the stores. And so they push and they shove people. I even read in one, one place, uh, I think it was in Aldi's, where a lady brandished a knife uh, over merchandise that was there. And even here in America, as tensions mount and we don't know what tomorrow holds, or even today, we don't know what it holds, people are beginning to uh, break out in brawls and fights as they, they try to gather the necessities that they think they need uh, for this time of quarantine, during this time of uh, confusion and chaos. And so I think our sermon text this morning is appropriate as we look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, Jesus wants us to be peacemakers. 
And in this world of chaos, confusion, if there's one thing we need to do, we need to be a voice of peace and a voice of calm in the midst of the storm. And it's easy to be naive about peace. Uh, we all think we have this idea of, of what peace is, and we, we debate what it is. And so we all have this concept of what peace actually is in the world today. And the, and the fact that peace is so hard to find is really nothing new. Because since the beginning of time, and Adam and Eve, ever since we, they broke that commandment in the garden, we've been at war. And if we go into Cain and Abel, we discover that from that moment on, we've been at war with one another, and we've been at war with God. And any newspaper will reveal that there's chaos, there's confusion, and there's, there's problems in the world around us. Everywhere we look, we see people not getting along. Democrats and Republicans, for the most matter, do not get along with one another. Liberals and conservatives do not get along with one another. Muslims and Christians do not get along with one another. Uh, we have racial problems in our country. We, we have family problems. I was reading sometime this past week that 60% of our families are, are, are hurt by family problems and by abuse in their families. Everywhere we look, we have, we have no economic peace, we have no religious peace, we have no racial peace, we have no uh, society peace, no cultural peace, no family peace, and we have no personal peace. So when we read the words of Jesus this morning, I think they hit close to home because we all want that peace in our hearts. We want that peace in our life. We cry out for peace, and the world cries out for peace as well. So we'll look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and we'll look at these words under the heading, finding happiness in being a peacemaker. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Now before we delve into this passage, I would like to make a confession to you. It has not always been easy in my life to have peace. I remember in one particular church where I served as a, as a pastor, I was ministering to a family, to a young couple who had two children. Uh, they were not married. But they were wanting to get their life right with God, and so I had led them to Christ, and they made a profession of faith. And I was kind of ministering to them, discipling them, and looking at the appropriate time to bring them as candidates for baptism at our church. But I knew if I was going to do that, I had to get this marriage thing right that I could not present them to the church as candidates uh, for membership and baptism until we got this marriage thing straightened out. They wanted to do what was right. They wanted to do what was right and, and by the church and by God, so they were trying to get their life together and do that. In the process as I was dealing with them, my, my secretary at the, the church uh, spread a rumor that I was about to bring these people into the church and baptize them, and she shared that with the deacons. Uh, it was not true. But what I found myself in that situation was going on the defensive, trying to defend my actions, when in reality I was not doing any of the things that were said. Can I, can I be honest with you? I tell you, I was mad. I was angry at my secretary. And in that moment, myself and the chairman of the personnel committee, we fired the secretary on the spot for gossip and slander, and we fired her. And then I had to go and go to the deacons, and I had to defend myself amongst the deacons. I was upset. I was mad. I was angry that I was having to defend myself with these individuals. I know you expect more from your pastor. 
I know you would expect me to, to handle that uh, differently than I did, but just for the sake of truth and bearing the truth, I want to say that to you because the, the anger and the hostility that is so easy to condemn as a prophet is really is no different in my own heart. There are times when I'm not at peace with myself, and I'm sure many of you can echo that same thing. Uh, wherever you sit, you know that you're battling with that. You struggle with that in your own life. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, or happy are the peacemakers, I, for one, am not going to argue the point. Because I can, I can see how great it would be to lay, out, lay down peace in my own heart and accept that and live and be happy in the midst of that. I, would, I could see that happen. I can imagine how blessed it would be to lay down arms and experience that peace in my own heart, not to mention the rest of the world. So when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. He's talking to us as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ. He says we are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be instruments of peace. So what does the Bible mean when it, when it talks about peace? If I was asked you to define peace, you would say probably peace in your mind would be the absence of conflict. And though that may be a good definition, it doesn't quite come in the grasp of what the Bible is, is trying to say. Probably the best way to understand biblical peace is the idea of wholeness, uh, of being com complete. So when the Bible talks about peace, it, talk, it refers to a comprehensive well-being or a state of completeness. Dale Bruner, in his little book, he says that peace, he uses the image of a circle. And that peacemakers do their best to complete the circle. They tie things together. When they see a circle that is broken, they rush to fill the gap. To fill in that which is broken. They, they are concerned about others' welfare. They're concerned about the well-being of other individuals. So peacemaking goes does far more than ease tensions and difficult situations. It seeks healing. It seeks wholeness in, in, that was intended by God in the very beginning. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to be at peace with Him and at peace with one another. And so God wants us to be peacemakers. But can I tell you that, that sometimes peace demands confrontation. Sometimes in order to to have peace, there's got to be a temporary commitment to discord in order to create a lasting harmony. But how do we know what to do? How do we know which actually leads to God's peace? Ultimately, we need a guide. We need somebody that can point us in the right direction. We need somebody that can show us the way to peace. Well, who better to do that than the Prince of Peace? Who better to do that than the one who spoke these words? You see, if we're relying on our own idea, if we're relying on our own intuition, our own ability, we will fall far short. But if we will walk with Jesus, and if we will stay with Jesus on this road with peace, then we will discover that he will make a, help us make the decisions that are necessary. We will discover that in order to walk on this road for peace, the first thing we want to have to discover is we've got to be totally dedicated to the will of God. Totally committed to the will of God. Because that's how we're going to bring peace to the world. Peace in our own lives and peace in the world 
around us. One thing that set Jesus apart from everyone else was his obedience. He never deviated from the course that his father had for him. And sometimes, in this idea of peace, it led him to confrontation. Sometimes it was verbal confrontation. If we would go to Matthew chapter 23, we will see that seven times in that little passage, Jesus condemned the religious leaders in that passage. He called them hypocrites seven times. Hypocrites, people who pretended to be something that they were not. In that same passage, he called them snakes, he called them a brood of vipers, and he called them white-faced tombs full of dead men's bones. Now, how do we reconcile this with the idea that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers? How do we reconcile uh, this situation with this beatitude? Because the very first person that did that also said, how happy are the peacemakers? So how do we reconcile this? How do, we, how do we deal with this? What we have to understand is that Jesus looked at these religious people and said that he considered they were a hindrance to people discovering peace in their own life. They were hindering people from coming into a relationship with God, so he confronted them with the truth. He challenged them in their own hypocrisy. And sometimes, my friends, in order for there to be peace, we have to do the same thing in our own lives, in our own ministry. I remember in a, a church where I used to serve, where I used to pastor, we were voting to allow our African-American mission to use our gymnasium. We didn't foresee any problems because we had already voted to support them as a mission. But they wanted to use our gymnasium on Sunday mornings, and there was no problem because we were not using our gymnasium on Sunday mornings. So we didn't expect much conflict at this meeting. And so we, we brought the motion to the church, and the motion passed like 35 to 9. Now, the nine people that voted against the motion, they had some legitimate concerns uh, about that. But for the most part, it was a very united effort. What alarmed me about the meeting was not the individuals that voted against it, but those who chose not to vote. That kind of alarmed me a little bit. Well, after the meeting was over, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I had an individual come up and start speaking to me, and he was a leader in the church, he was a former minister, and he was a deacon in our church, and he came to me and pulled me aside and said, Pastor, you need to understand, these people that did not vote, they should be considered as a no vote. And I listened intently to what he had to say, and you know, I, I listened constructively to what he had to say, let him say his piece, and he said, you need to understand that they were probably voting no. And so, I uh, listened to him, and, and, I, and I said with all kindness, I disagreed with him, that that's not what it says. And I, I told him, I, I said that the way I understand is that those individuals that did not, that voted will only be counted. Those that did not vote were not even to be considered. And he continued to argue with me. Finally, I, I asked him a question. I think the question cut to the heart of the matter. I asked him, I said, well, why did they choose not to vote? Are they racist? And I said, I refuse to believe that these good church members are racist. I choose to believe that they did not have an opinion about it one way or the other. At my question, he did not have an answer for me. And I believe at that moment, I confronted him with the truth. I told him that if they were racist, I would deal with that from the pulpit and reveal with them about the truth of the gospel. 
So I think that that, that silence of critics, because we confronted them with the truth during that situation. It took a verbal confrontation to deal with what was going on in that individual's heart and in the heart of others. So sometimes, in order to bring peace and harmony, you've got to confront people verbally. But also, it might lead to, to physical as well, doing something physical. We know that at least one time in the scripture that Jesus did that, as he made his way to the temple, and he saw how it was being abused by money changers and people taking advantage of the poor, Jesus made a whip and he drove the money changers from the temple because it took that violent action for him to do that because he saw something more important than that. So the point is that sometimes in, in bringing peace to individuals, peace to ourselves, peace to the world, it means that we're going to have to confront people with the truth. And sometimes it may mean physically we have to do that. So even though in obedience, Jesus confronted wrong when he saw it. By that same obedience, he drank from a cup he would not have chosen for himself. He took the abuse. He took the criticism. He took the attacks. He took the thorns. He took the nails. And he took it all upon himself. And what did Jesus do in the midst of that? He never uttered a word. He never cried out about the inequality the injustice of the whole thing. He never uttered a word in his defense. All he was doing was being obedient to the king, to his father, and his reign that he announced in the world, in his life and in his death. And for that reason, he's called the Prince of Peace. He's the one that can bring peace to our troubled hearts, to our churches, to our community, and to the world in which we live. I know what you're asking. If I was right there with you today, you'd be asking, well, preacher, how do we do this? How do we, how do we do such things? And the only thing is I can tell you is begin by being obedient to God's will so far as you understand it. It's not always easy. It's not easy to discern God's will. Sometimes, can I just be honest with you? God sometimes is not clear. Sometimes I wish he'd be clearer than he is uh, in situations that I have. It's not easy. So, so how do you do it? How do you, how do you do this in your own life? Let me give you some counsel. Walk in the light that you have today and trust God for tomorrow. Walk in the light that you have today and trust God for tomorrow. Go back to the last thing that God communicated to you. And if he hasn't communicated to you anything else, then you stay obedient to the last thing that God told you to do. And then let me give you a guiding principle. Something that has worked well for my life and hopefully will work well for your life. That guiding principle is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And we know upon those two commandments hangs all the law. And everything else in Scripture highlights those two commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And when you're faced with a, a peacemaking task, begin with self-examination. Ask yourself, are you being obedient to what God has called you to do? Are you being obedient to what God has asked you to do? 
Are you acting out of love for God? Are you acting out of love for others? That's the first thing you need to do. It won't always be easy. There will be difficulty. And there will be times of doubt and times of frustration. But if you will operate from this principle, then there won't be much doubt that you're on the road to peace in your life, in your church, in your community, and in the culture in which we live. As we follow the Prince of Peace on this road that he's laid out for us, not only do we have to be dedicated to the will of God, but we must be willing to bear the cost of peace. Can I tell you that sometimes being a peacemaker is expensive? Can I tell you that sometimes it requires something of you? You can't just keep doing things the way you've always done it and expect there to be peace. You may have to do something different in your life. I'm reminded of a story I read several years ago about a, a, a Swedish couple named Helga and, and Henry who've been married for 60 years. And for 60 years of marriage, all they did was fight. They would wake up in the morning and fight, and they would go to bed at night fighting. Well, it came their 60th anniversary, and they woke up that morning fighting, and they went to bed that night fighting. So finally, Helga told, uh, told Henry in her, in her uh, Swedish accent, I won't try to emulate it, she said, Henry, we've been fighting for 60 years of our life, and I pray that God will bring us peace. So tonight, Henry, I am going to pray that God will call you home, and I'm going to go live with my wife, my, with my sister, Olga. Now, I don't think that's quite the way that God would have you to deal with, with uh, a trouble, with, with difficulty in, in your life. I don't think that's what it is. But here's the thing, my friends. If you are struggling in your marriage, if you're having problems in your marriage and you want peace, you may have to pay the price to get peace in your marriage. You may have to pay a marriage counselor. You may have to go to a marriage support group. But if you want peace in your marriage, you're going to have to work at it. And you're going to have to pay the price to do that. Listen, my friend, if you are struggling right there where you're at, if you're struggling with an addiction, and I know some of you are, you have an alcohol addiction, you have a, a drug addiction, maybe you're having a sexual addiction, a pornography addiction, whatever it is. If you are struggling with an addiction, you may have to invest this money and get the help that you need. You may have to get into a support group. You may have to go see a counselor. And you're going to have to pay the price to get out of this to find peace in your own life. You're going to have to bear the pain. You're going to have to pay the cost. And for those of you that have been hurt by somebody, uh, instead of seeking retaliation upon that individual, you're going to have to bear the insults. You're going to have to bear the pain. And you can't go out and seek retaliation upon these individuals. For some of you, it may mean holding your tongue. I know that's hard. You've got to bite your tongue. And you've got to hold your tongue in the midst of that. And for some of us, it may mean going to jail. Many people have gone to jail because they have stood up for what is right. Think of Martin Luther King. He stood up for what was right. To bring peace in our community. Racial peace. And he went to jail for that. He paid the price. And we may have to do the same thing when we stand up for what is right. You see, those that are peacemakers, they take the abuse, they take the insults upon themselves. But when they do, they're emulating their Lord and their Savior, Jesus Christ, who took the abuse and the insults upon themselves. According to Jesus, the people who will be most happy 
or those who absorb the conflict by taking the pain upon themselves. They let go of self-protection in order to hold on to mutual peace in their life. They choose not to be above their Lord and their Savior who gave himself over to the violence of the world so that the world through him might know peace. They might know peace. High in the Andes Mountains in South America, between the border of Argentina and Chile, there's a monument built out of uh, cannons. And on that, it's a monument of, of, made out of a cross. And on the bottom of that monument, in Spanish, it says these words, Sooner shall these mountains crumble in the dust than Argentines and Chileans break the peace sworn at the feet of Christ the Redeemer. And I think about this passage that Jesus gives us. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. We could very well say, blessed are those who create monuments of peace during troubling times. They will be called children of God. They will be called brothers and sisters of the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you a question. Are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker? Because the fact of the matter is, those of us who have received the peace of God, those of us who have received the peace that surpasses our ability to understand, we are called to be peacemakers. We are called to be at peace with him, and we are called to be at peace with one another. And so because of that, we would do whatever we can to help others find this peace in their life. We'll do it in our actions. We'll do it in our words. We have to do it in our attitude. If you need an example to follow, consider the life of Jesus. He bore the pain. He bore the abuse of your sin so that you might know peace. Personal peace and relational peace. So be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. And when you are a peacemaker, Jesus says, you will be happy and you will be considered a brother or sister to the prince. So during this time of doubt, during this time of frustration in our own life, when you go to the restaurant, when you well, you don't go to the restaurant, when you go somewhere, when you go to the store, you got to wait in line. Be the best you can to be a peacemaker. Be in harmony. Smile. Point people to the truth. Tell them that God's got this. Point people to Jesus. And be a peacemaker during this time. Be a peacemaker in your home. Be a peacemaker in your family. Be a peacemaker in your place of work. Be a peacemaker in your community. And point people to Jesus Christ. We're going to have a time of prayer. A time when you can reflect upon what was said. Obviously, this will not be an open invitation. But right where you are, we're going to ask that you pray. And ask God to help you be a peacemaker. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that you live in my heart because I've invited you into my heart. I've invited you to be my Lord and Savior. So Father, because of that, help me to be a peacemaker in my home, in my church, in my community. 
in my culture. Father, help me to be a peacemaker. I want to be like you in all things. Pray a prayer like that where you're at and ask God to use you. Let me lead us in a prayer real quick as our praise team comes up and lead us in one final song. Father, bless this time. Father, bring your peace upon us, the few that are gathered here, and Father, the ones that are gathered with us online. Bring your peace into our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
thanks for letting us come to your house today. We'll be here same time next week. We got one more week of this, and then we'll reevaluate. I pray that God will bless you. God will encourage you. The words of that song, if you're struggling with an illness, remember these words. I believe that, God, you're my healer. I believe that you're all that I need. I believe you're my portion. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. If by chance you're listening and you would like to know how to make Jesus Lord of your life, send us a Facebook message and we will get back with you. Or call the church office and we'll talk with you over the phone. And we pray God's richest blessings on you. Thank you. You're dismissed.